Welcome to the podcast, Your Time with James Sweetman. Hello and welcome to this week's episode. I'm James Sweetman and I'm so grateful that you've tuned in. This week I'm looking at a topic that's close to my heart and that's people management. I'm sure over the years you've worked with a broad spectrum of managers. I know I have. Some were role models and I learned a lot from them. Others, though I may not have recognised it at the time, were examples of what not to do. At the heart of this week's episode are nine questions that for me go to the core of people management. Eight of those questions are self-reflective and the final question underpins your entire approach to how you relate to your colleagues. Five of the questions are closed, meaning that you really answer them yes or no. And what I found is that effective people managers will answer them in the affirmative. Uh, But we'll get to that shortly. Before that, I want to speak a little about the challenges of people management. As I always say, no one purposely sets out to be a bad or an ineffective people manager. We're all doing our best. Though unfortunately, for a variety of reasons, some managers don't perform well in their role. And I don't know if they were not up to scratch and say another aspect of their business, you know, whether that's producing accounts or building IT systems, you know, at minimum, there would be some performance related conversations taking place. But in too many organisations, a manager's poor performance as, as a leader of teams can somehow just be left to one side. You know, there's still the dominant tendency that if a manager is achieving results, it doesn't matter how they achieve them. Um, you know, the means justifying the end. But that is changing. You know, it's not just about what you do um, and what you achieve, but more about how you go about it and how you achieve. And because I know certainly there are managers out there who achieve a lot, but they do so at a very high cost. We know that people, managers and leaders only achieve with and through their teams. But there are still many managers out there who don't really grasp that. So what are some of the challenges that organisations face, that uh, people promoted into people management positions face? There's six or seven that I've identified, which I'm going to take you through. The first one is somewhat flippant, but it's one of these principles that I'm sure you've heard of, maybe not come across the original source of it, but it's the Peter principle, which more or less says, you know, someone is promoted to the point of incompetence. And that comes from a book that was published back in 1969 by Lawrence J. Peter. So this particular principal takes uh, his surname. And it's not that people set out to do bad work. You know, I always say that at the outset. People are doing their best with the knowledge and experience and resources that they have. But so often in organisations, someone is really effective in the role and then they're promoted to be a manager of other people in that role. It's almost like they expect people to be good at a job, you know, that they've never really been trained uh, to do. There's a big difference between, uh, you know, being an effective salesperson and then managing a sales team. So the Peter principle, you still see it, you know, someone who's promoted to the point of incompetence. The second reason why people can struggle as people managers is because they're simply just not that interested in managing people. You know, there's there's that old phrase, willing and able. They may be able to, but they're just not willing. Um, Or, of course, they may not be able and they're equally not willing. Um, You know, not everyone can or should be a people manager. We all have our own unique skill sets. 
I often say that too, sometimes as regards presentation skills, you know, not everyone can be a great presenter. We all have our own unique talents and characteristics and tendencies and preferences. You know, there's many areas where I'm not that effective. And if you're in an area that doesn't suit you, whilst you can work on enhancing skills, it's never going to be something that feels innate to you. You know, when I'm working with, say, a new manager or a director in an organisation, I'll send them out a pre-coaching questionnaire. And, you know, there's many different topics that are covered in that so that when we're working together, we can do so most effectively and have clear outcomes, etc. But one of the questions in there is around, you know, previous training that they've had as a manager or a leader, you know, leadership books that they've read or favourite authors or thinkers or blogs, you know, in the personal development or people management space. And rarely will that question be answered in any sense of, you know, detail. And I often find that a little strange that if you're in a position that's maybe core to what it is you're doing, in this case, people management, you know, that there isn't much curiosity around some of the studies or frameworks or theories or, you know, even the basics of human psychology. And I often think that if we're working in an area that we want to excel in, we do need to have at minimum uh, curiosity and an open mind around upskilling. And for, for many people who are in people management positions, they view people management as, as a stressor, you know, and it is a source of stress, but it's one that they, uh, you know, that they simply don't want and they'll do, uh, they'll do the minimum to survive in it. The third reason why people can have challenges in this area is to do with emotional intelligence. Now, I'm sure you've come across emotional intelligence as a topic before. A simple definition of it is being intelligent about emotions. You know, in recent times, I did a article around the essential qualities of effective management. And in the past, there was two words that begin with the letter E that were uh, central to that, uh, expertise and execution. But in recent times now, in the 21st century, empathy is part of that as well. The ability to put yourself in other people's shoes, the ability to tailor your message for maximum impact, etc. And um, uh, not everyone who has the ability to execute or has expertise uh, also has levels of empathy that helps them to achieve through others. You know, last weekend I was watching the movie, it's a few years old now, The Imitation Game, starring Benedict Cumberbatch, which looks at the um, events in Bletchley Park in World War II and decoding the Enigma machine. Um, he plays the role of Alan Turing. And, you know, in that, you know, he says he doesn't pick up all of the social cues. You know, he struggles with social skills um, and had, of course, compensated for the lack of social skills in other areas. Um, and if we think about emotional intelligence and the two different parts of the brain that are relevant here, the limbic system and the neocortex, you know, the limbic system that deals with the touchy-feely stuff, the motivations and the um, emotions, the neocortex, logical, process-driven, um, analytical type thinking. And um, sometimes we will have tendencies and preferences for one over the other. But if we're managing people, we are using the limbic system. We're thinking about the connections we have and the motivations that they have and the communication and the conversations. Uh, not everything can be sorted out on a spreadsheet and certainly people management can't. 
you know, one of the things that I think the COVID crisis has done has helped us all be a little bit more empathetic. You know, maybe in the past, if someone was not performing in their role, you know, it's easy to jump to the judgment that maybe that person is lazy or stupid or simply not up to the job. You know, whereas nowadays, perhaps we're a little bit softer in our approach, a bit more empathetic. We can get curious about other factors that might be at play. You know, the challenges that others are facing, the how they're juggling their own commitments. And that's something that I think will hopefully continue in the post-COVID world. But that's something I'll be speaking about in a, in a few episodes to come. One of the areas that's uh, common in most organisations when someone moves into a people management role is moving from the mindset of being an individual contributor to moving to a position where they're now achieving through others. And, you know, that's outside people's comfort zone when they've not done it before. And if we run the pattern, as many of us do, you know, if you want something done well, do it yourself. You're having to relinquish control and uh, increase levels of trust in others, which is not, you know, it's something we're not used to. You know, add in the challenge that in if you're in an organisation where you're still lauded and primarily remunerated for your individual expertise, you know, whether that's complex cases or bigger clients, you know, but somehow you have to juggle that with managing a team that can become very stressful. Like you feel as if you're, you know, being pulled in two directions. And, you know, that two pronged approach to people management is something that some organizations now are, are separating out. So like you have one career path that's uh, focused on building your own expertise, almost like a specialist in a topic. Um, and then the other approach is where you focus on people management. So your main job is managing teams. Uh, it doesn't matter what the nature of the work is. You're like a professional people manager um, because it is difficult to marry both. But I know certainly when I'm working with people as an executive coach, you know, one of the areas that I'm often helping them with is that shift from individual contributor to achieving through others. The last point I want to speak about as regards challenges to effective people management before I get into sharing those questions is the context in which all of this takes place. And of course, that brings us into organisational culture. My favourite definition of that, of course, is the unwritten rules as to how we do things here. And if we go back to thinking about the, the history of organisations, you know, organisations really only came into play at the time of the Industrial Revolution, you know, where people uh, unskilled came off the land and became, you know, attachments to machinery and management as a, as a people management discipline um, developed from that. Uh, an interesting fact, here's an aside for you that I learned recently was that it was only back in the 1870s, so 1870, 71, which was the Franco-Prussian War, if you remember your European history. Uh, that was the first war where regular soldiers um, who were killed in battle, where their names were actually recognised afterwards. Before that, I think they were all viewed as like just cannon fodder, literally. It was only the officers who were recognised. And that was symptomatic of maybe a people management approach back there as well, where people were not seen as individuals um, um, and, and the lack of humanity that goes with that. 
Um, it reminded me too of something I I, um, I thought of recently where many years ago when I moved into a management position in a financial services firm for the first time, um, habit was that you'd go around the corner to the, to the local pub for a drink after work on a Friday. And I remember the first Friday when I moved into the, into the new management role, I remember one of my management colleagues saying to me, you know, James, it's probably not a good idea that you go around and you associate socially, you know, with some of the people that you're managing. You know, and as a as a twenty eight year old, which I think I was back then, um, I remember sort of thinking, "Gosh, that's a bit strange that these are people I work with. These are people I've known for years. These are people whose company I enjoy, and now I'm separating myself from them." And I suppose I did a little because I had nothing to go by. I had to take that advice on board from someone who I viewed as more experienced. But it didn't take me too long to realise that that advice was probably one of the worst pieces of management advice I was ever given because it's still about working with people. And I figured out in recent times that, you know, yes, there are maybe certain decisions you have to make and there's certain, you know, meetings or conversations that colleagues cannot be involved in. But 90% of what you're doing, you can be upfront and honest and open about, and you're still relating to to people as people. We're, we're back to that humanity piece again. So they're just some of the challenges of people management in the modern world. Let me get into these questions I was speaking about earlier, the ones that I view as the real test of effective people management. You know, and as I said at the outset, we know that as people managers, we only achieve with and through the people we work with. And what the effective people managers do is they don't see their staff as functionaries or tenants of roles tasked with just following orders. You know, they view their teams as sets of diverse individuals, each with their own unique blend of motivations and skills. And therefore, they make the effort to get to know their colleagues as people. You know, they develop their teams by supporting and challenging them to utilize their skills and to think for themselves. In other words, they coach them you know, to grow, not just in their roles, but maybe as people. They also lead by example, you know, role modeling the qualities and attitudes and behaviors that they wish to nurture in others. You know, over the years and conversations I've had with people managers of varying degrees of competency, I found that the really effective people managers, either consciously or unconsciously, can answer these questions in the affirmative. So let me jump into them. Uh, The first one, do I care enough about my staff as people to invest my time in their development? That's a yes, no answer. And it's a powerful question to ask, because for some people, if they're honest, they would answer no to that. Do I care enough about my staff as people to invest my time in their development? This requires a basic curiosity in people, you know, maybe a, a basic curiosity around human psychology. The second question, do I have the motivation, the skills, the demeanor, the resilience to develop my team on an ongoing basis? You know, do I have the motivation to develop my team on an ongoing basis? Motivation, of course, is always bringing us into why, you know, motive being the first part of motivation. Well, why is managing my team important to me? If I cannot come up with reasons for that, I'm not going to be applying my time and attention and energy to it. That question, like all of these, requires a little bit of self-reflection and uh, and a healthy dose of honesty. The third question, uh, what am I role modeling? Now, this is related to one of the golden rules of working relationships. You know, we train or we teach people how to treat us. You know, looking back, how have you trained or taught people how to treat you? And we, we all sort of role model something. You know, so what am I role modeling? 
to answer that question, I need to take a step back and to do, again, a little bit of self-reflection, which for people who maybe uh, don't have a, have a, a tendency um, or, or a healthy dose of emotional intelligence, that can be a trickier question to answer. And sometimes you need to um, get feedback from others who will be able to, to give you some advice or coaching in that area. So currently, what am I role modeling? Question number four is, am I aware of my own strengths and weaknesses as a manager? And am I honest enough and open enough to seek assistance, input and feedback? You know, these are these are deep questions. Am I aware of my own strengths and weaknesses as a manager? And am I honest and open enough to seek assistance, input and feedback? This brings us into the territory of vulnerability. And if you think about it still, in most organizations, vulnerability is frowned upon. You know, there are many organizations out there where the culture is survival of the fittest, don't dare show weakness, you know, and therefore you're going to have um, attack as a form of defense. You'll have scapegoating, etc. That question, like the one ones before it, requires some self-reflection. You know, if we think about the cornerstones of emotional intelligence, we're looking at self-awareness, self-control, social awareness and relationship management. Uh, the fifth question, do I have regular one-to-one interactions with my staff above and beyond any required performance appraisals or task-specific feedback or, or task-specific meetings? You know, for me, unless there are regular forums in place where people can have conversations, because that's really what people management is about, conversations, um, it's very difficult to, to excel as a people manager. You know, there are many organizations out there where someone is rushing to do their performance appraisal Christmas week, um, you know, which is it's not even a pass mark when it comes to people management. Um, I, there are some organizations out there where they're just not used to speaking to each other. You know, it's all email based. And again, maybe what COVID has done recently is whilst we're working remotely, the irony is, is that maybe there's a little bit more reach out, a little bit more caring, a little bit more understanding, a little bit more humanity in our relationships. But if we're looking to be an effective people manager, we have to have forums in place where we can do our people management. So that question, do I have regular one-to-one interactions with my staff above and beyond whatever's required? And the good people managers will always say yes to that. Question number six is, am I flexible enough to change approach when my preferred leadership style is not working? I'll repeat that one again. Am I flexible enough to change my approach when my preferred leadership style is not working? You know, we all have preferences in terms of how we like to manage and how we like to be managed. But of course, we're all different individuals. Some people require more handholding. Some people require dangling consequences in front of them. Some people prefer the carrot approach, you know, all of the different theories of motivation. And what good people managers do, I often use the phrase of they have many different golf clubs in the golf bag. You know, they know the appropriate um, uh, club to use for whatever it is that they're trying to achieve and they're flexible enough to try different things. You know, these questions, those six questions for me lay the foundation of effective people management. But because we all have our own blind spots, a, a another question, a seventh question will ground us in reality. And that question is, what's the tangible evidence I'm using to support my answers for the above six questions? You know, so what evidence am I using to support my opinions? You know, some organizations will have their 360 degree feedback. 
some managers are able to pick up, you know, a vibe or a sense from their people through their empathy skills, through their rapport. And it's also something that they're just paying attention to. You know, how are people responding to me? You know, what's the responses I'm getting to communications? So what's the evidence I'm using to support my conclusions as regards my effectiveness as a people manager? There's another category of questions that I've noticed great people managers ask their teams. You know, it's a category of questions that sets the tone for the working relationship. And for me, they're all variations of this question, which is the which is the next one I'm sharing with you, which is how can I support you in your role? Managers will ask, effective managers will ask a variation of that question, or at least it's implied behind a lot of the other conversations they have with their team. You know, the manager's focus is on enabling their teams to perform at their best. You know, the this mindset, which represents an inversion of the classic organizational hierarchy, you know, can prompt other questions such as, how would you like me to manage you? You know, or what do you need from me? How do you see our relationship working? Uh, how do you like to be managed? You know, what's your expectation as to how we can work well together? Whilst many people may not be able to give a precise answer to this question, they will remember the fact that they were asked it and it establishes straight away a platform for open, two-way, collaborative working relationship. The final question, the one that for me goes to the heart of people management, the real test of people management, is how are my people better off because of me? Now, better off can be open to interpretation. I'm sure there are managers out there who view better off as the fact that their staff are lucky to have a job and that they're lucky to be paid at the end of the week and at the end of the month. But maybe better off can be wider than that. It's like you're supporting people to grow in their roles, to help them get meaning from their work, educating them, developing them, upskilling them, enhancing the quality of their working life and maybe even their broader life, you know, seeing them blossom as people. Um, there's different definitions of better off, but I know the effect of people managers consciously or unconsciously are pondering that question because they see themselves as someone who was there to support their teams and ultimately to achieve through them. So before I do a quick recap on those questions, just one or two other observations. You know, some managers are instinctive coaches. Others work consciously on enhancing their skills. We know that coaching as a style of leadership is effective in developing trust, respect and the capability of staff, which in turn leads to higher morale, greater productivity and better results. Great people managers use coaching techniques to encourage their people to stretch towards their potential. They believe in their team before the team maybe fully believes in themselves. When you coach someone, you're focused on the person, not just on the tasks you want them to complete. Your approach is proactive and leans towards long-term sustainable development, not just a short-term quick fix. It's easy to forget that just as customers voluntarily decide to do business with you, staff volunteer their dedication, motivation and enthusiasm. Employees might be required to spend a specific number of hours a day at work, but they volunteer who they are at work. Of course, managers have to focus on getting the job done and short-term task delivery, and sometimes instructions have to be given. However, also part of the role of being a manager is to create an environment where staff can do their jobs, do their best, and maybe even flourish, and great managers never forget that. So in closing, let me fly through those questions again, the questions that I view as the, the test of people management. The first one, do I care enough about my staff as people to invest my time in their development? 
Number two, do I have the motivation, the skills, demeanour and resilience to develop my team on an ongoing basis? Three, what am I role modelling? Number four, am I aware of my own strengths and weaknesses as a manager? And am I honest and open enough to seek assistance, input and feedback? Number five, do I have regular one-to-one interactions with my staff above and beyond the required performance appraisals or task-specific meetings? Number six, am I flexible enough to change approach when my preferred style of leadership is not working? Number seven, what tangible evidence am I using to support my answers to the above questions? Number eight was slightly different. This one underpins how you're actually interacting with people. Uh, variations of the question, how can I support you in your role, are often asked for a manager uh, to their team members. And as I said, people may not be able to answer that prescriptively, but they'll always remember that they were asked it and it sets the tone for the relationship. And then the last question, perhaps the most important one, you know, I'm asking myself, how are my people better off because of me? So it gets me to focus on where I'm adding value and it goes to the core of the the role of a people manager. So reflecting on them yourself, if you're in a people management role, how would you answer them? Or even thinking about them, you know, in a non-people management role, if we just look at this in terms of interaction with colleagues, most of those questions are still equally uh, relevant. So thank you for tuning in this week. If you found this episode of benefit, you know, do consider sending me a note or making a comment or giving me a rating. Um, And if you know of anyone else who has benefited or might benefit from this episode, feel free to pass details on to them or share it on social media. So thank you again for tuning in and until next week.